Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Transfer deadline day is over and it's 4-0. That means we've got four players going out and none coming in. It has been a really long day. We started the live blog uh, on Arsblog News at 7 o'clock this morning. It's now about 20 past 11. And uh, to, to go over all the exciting business that we've done today and for the rest of the summer, I'm joined by Andrew Allen. Andrew, hello. Hello. Uh, also, uh, uh, what, did you have something else to say there? Or? No. No. I think I think transfer deadline day is taking its toll. That's <laughs> it. I'm done. All right. We have uh, the man from East Lower, Jim. How are you? I'm I'm all right. Yes, it's very exciting to be up so late. Oh, it is. This is uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like school night. It feels slightly bold doing this at this time of the night. <laughs> Um, and also with me, uh, you can block him on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. It's Elliot Smith. Elliot, how are you? Welcome. I'm great. It's five o'clock here, so I've just started drinking. Fuck so you. I'm in perfect position for this. <laughs> All right. Well, look, uh, you, we've got a bit of a head start on you, um, Andrew. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you first. I think we need to go at this in 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 a slightly logical, coherent way, uh, which uh, is beyond me, unfortunately. Uh, but well, I think like, we, like the transfer window, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a bit like that uh, from an Arsenal point of view. But Andrew, let's start with things that actually happened rather than things that didn't happen. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain went to Liverpool for £40 million. Uh, you know, I, I I think that's a good deal for Arsenal. I agree. Um, I think the manner in which 
it's played out and the fact that all of the drama of it being on the final day of the transfer window is going to give it a certain uh, gloss on the Liverpool side, which makes it look like they've kind of won something uh, at the circus. Um, no, I, I, Jesus Christ. I mean, the guy has gone for what, like 8 million quid more than we sold Cesc Fabregas for. I mean, <laughs> Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is not Cesc Fabregas. He's not Thierry Henry. He's not Patrick Vieira. He is the most expensive player we have ever sold. And I know this window is completely mad and quite frankly, 40 million pounds is a drop in the ocean. But at the same time, I think there's been a fair amount of discussion and quite rightly so on social media and amongst Arsenal fans, wherever they are in the world. And it's basically seems like a nice guy. Don't really know if he's a good player or not, which is a pretty weird conclusion to come to when you've watched someone for six years. Yeah. Um, so look, I, I respect his decision. Obviously the, the, there's been a lot of focus on the fact that he's, turned down a bigger contract to stay at Arsenal to move to Liverpool. He's turned down Chelsea, who are arguably a better club um, than than Liverpool. He's obviously been attracted by something to go there. And in that respect, I just say, fair enough. Good luck to him. I hope it turns out terribly for you. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you've obviously made the reasons, you've made the decision to make the move for your own reasons and, and, and you know, stick by them and, and, and good luck. Um, I don't know yet whether we'll miss him. I, I have a slight fear in the same way that I always slightly fear when Theo might leave that he might go on to become something better. We've always ended up being stuck with Theo, so mm. it's not been something I've had to confront. But yeah. Here we go. We'll see. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have to play Oxlade Chamberlain uh, away from home at Anfield this season. Yeah, because I mean, we've already we've already done that once. Well, I think I think it's clear now that Theo will never leave. He is he is part of all of us now, uh, yes. and all of our Arsenal experience. Elliot, how are you feeling about the departure of an attacking midfield player, a creative uh, midfielder, a number ten, someone who wants to play as a central midfielder, who has scored fewer goals in his Arsenal career than Lauren Koscielny? I mean, first of all, did we lose an attacking midfielder? Because I must have missed the two games in his career where he played at that position. Um, mm. I think this is addition by subtraction in a lot of ways. I mean, first of all, you would think, fingers crossed, I mean, who knows, that this would force the manager's hand to play Kolasinac in his natural position, um, which would be an improvement, I think, rather than the shoehorning that's gone on to get Ox into the side and moving sure. Bellerin to his wrong side. So I, I think right there you have potential for addition by subtraction. I also think going into the summer, if you said, look, we have three fairly significant players who will be out of contract and can leave on a free next year and we need to cash in on one of them, if I told you the one we're going to cash in on is Oxlade Chamberlain for over 40 million pounds or 40 million and one, um, you would have taken that deal. So, you know, I think the funny thing is in a, in what I think is mostly a terrible window, uh, this is probably the one piece of really prudent business. You're talking about a player who's never established a position for the club, who's never been a regular starter, who has injury concerns, um, and whose combination of injury concerns and inconsistency means that he's expendable. And there may be some people who say, well, it's Arson's fault he didn't get the most out of Oxlade Chamberlain. Even if you accept that that's true, if we had kept him this season and he didn't sign, we'd be losing him for free next summer regardless. Mm. So the choice wasn't, sell Oxlade-Chamberlain or keep him for another manager to mold him. The choice was sell Oxlade-Chamberlain or have him this season then lose him on a free. 
And so I think, you know, in, in a summer that we can be very critical of, in a window we can be very critical of, and we can certainly get into that, I'm sure we will, this is the one piece of business that, to me, looks prudent. Mm, Jim, the other option, of course, was to maybe take Oxlade-Chamberlain and play him where he wants to be played, which was as a central midfield player. And from what we can gather, his motivation for wanting to move on was because he sees himself as a central midfielder. And we have this weird thing, don't we, where Arsene Wenger, from the time he joined the club, like very early on said, look, he, he's going to be a central midfield player, but did that thing where you, you've got to play him on the on the wing so he can understand the game, and then you bring him inside and he can deal with uh, people on both sides of him. Arsene Wenger spoke repeatedly about how Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was going to be a central midfield player, but steadfastly refused to ever play him there. So that was a choice we had if we really wanted to keep him. We could have said to him, look, we'll give you that opportunity. We'll give you a new contract and we will give you the opportunity to play as a central midfielder. I mean, do you think we've missed a trick there or is the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain we see now at 24 years of age likely to be the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain that Liverpool fans are going to see for the next five years? Well, firstly, I would say you, you you can't be held over a barrel by by a player in that respect. You can't you can't get um you know the, the player can't be dictating where they play. Ultimately, it's got to be down to the manager. And um, so, no, I don't think it. I don't think to you know. It's, it's it's pretty sad if 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 it's got to the point where you're starting to you know shoehorn him into somewhere where you you don't think he's quite ready for just to keep him. You know, ultimately, what's become apparent at the end of this window and not just with him is actually you know in at the end of the day Arsenal are prepared to sell um uh, rather than run do something like put him in the middle where it might not work and then you know then you might get all sorts of players saying well I want to play here I want to play there and, and it, it, it sends out the wrong message to me I'm sad he's gone in some ways because he's still young and still room for improvement and what will be really interesting a really, really interesting is is whether he does improve, because you know, mm. for years, for years and years under under Wenger, we always said, oh, how many players have have improved since they left, and there weren't many for for a very long time that actually got better having left, and um, and with him, you know. I'll be I'll be watching it closely because I'll I'll be interested to see whether with a little bit more guidance and tutelage and and you know in, in a different team with a different man motivating him whether whether he does improve I think that'll be fascinating. Mm. Elliot, going back to you, I mean I, I think that's an interesting point. We'll come on to mm-hmm. other things um, with regards to the transfer window, but it's something myself and James spoke about on the Arscast Extra on Monday where. You look at players who make the breakthrough because, you know, having not bought anybody today in the transfer window, it suggests that we're open to to filling some gaps with young players or with some youth or with some potential. And that's fine. But the issue for me over the last number of years is that we see these young players coming through. You, t- you look at uh, Alex Iwobi, who's hit a wall, Hector Bellerin. Maybe not so much, but has hit a wall in terms of his development. Uh, Rob Holding, we're seeing him go through a difficult spell because that's what happens when you're a young centre-half. Callum Chambers had that difficult spell in his career and was farmed out to uh, Middlesbrough and brought back and then told he could go and then the manager changed his mind and wants to keep him now. And I do wonder if there's a, if there's an issue there that if we bring somebody like Reese Nelson through, who looks a hugely exciting, very promising talent, whether he's going to experience the same kind of issues. Well, I, th- I think it's inevitable because ultimately I think what young players need is structure. Um, I think young players may have the talent to be in a first team squad that's competing for a title or top four, 
but they need structure and discipline. And there's clearly a lack of both of those things at Arsenal, both tactically and off the pitch. And so I think if you're a talented young player and you come into a team that's well-drilled where every player knows where he should be at every moment of the game and in all kinds of uh, game states and match scenarios, then you can express yourself to a certain extent, but you know where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. And Arsene's football has quite commonly been sort of uh, related to jazz music. And I think that is in particular unhealthy for young players who haven't developed the instincts through experience to know where to be on their own. They mm. need that instruction and particular for defenders, whether it's holding or whether it's chambers or whether it's Bellerin or whether it's Ox playing wing back, they haven't developed the instincts defensively yet because they haven't just had a long enough career to develop them. And without discipline and structure, it's easy for them to get exposed. Now I think Ox will be one of those players that will be easy for Arsenal fans to let go of because of the scandalous performance he put in against Liverpool just hours before being sold to Liverpool. Um, that is obviously the manager's fault to some extent as well, but it will certainly ease the goodbyes, so to speak. I don't think there'll be a lot of hand-wringing as a result of that. But I think any young player is going to struggle in a system that lacks discipline and structure. Um, you know, you look at Jurgen Klopp or Pochettino, you know, I hate to invoke the name of Spurs manager, but like these are players that seem to have a clear ideology and philosophy about how they want their team to play and they're well-drilled and that allows young players to thrive. And in fact, Spurs ascendancy has been driven by youth because of that structure. So I don't know that we have the structure to support the development of young players. I mean, Cesc Fabregas stands out as an exception, but he came through Arsenal at a time where there were such disciplined, experienced leaders, senior leaders at the club. And that hasn't been the case for a lot of the young players coming through now. Um, I, for me, what will be really fascinating, you know, I still think we have a pretty good squad through mm. all the hand-wringing, but you look at the volume of players at the club at the end of the deadline day uh, right now, uh, that bourbon's kicking in now, um, <laughs> who clearly weren't in the manager's plans or he was willing to get rid of. We were willing to sell Alexis. Chambers didn't seem to be in the plan. We wanted to loan out Mustafi. Mm. Um, you know, and you can go on and on with these players that we seemed willing to part ways with. How does he reintegrate those players and form a, a cohesive unit now to bind together and battle as a team for the rest of the season? I have no idea how he manages that. It's a very good question, so I'm going to ask Andrew. Um uh, Andrew, I mean, Mustafi in particular really intrigues me. Something must have happened for Arsene Wenger to decide that a £35 million player, and we can come back to money and how we spend it, because you look at Lucas Perez, we've loaned him out, we spent £17 million on him last uh, last summer, and we're loaning him back, or we have loaned him back to Deportivo. We spent £35 million on Mustafi, and Arsene Wenger was willing to let him go. I mean, do, do, do you feel like a player having arrived at a club for an almost record transfer fee can get over the fact that within 12 months, the manager is willing to let him go? Um, yeah, I think he can. And I think part of that is, is probably down to the types of conversation the manager has with the players in his squad. And, you know, building and maintaining a, a, a Premier League squad these days, particularly within the, the the financial rules, is 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 like taking on a really complicated jigsaw puzzle. Um, the pieces need to fit together, and if your star players are asking for more money, 
then you somehow need to make room in the squad for you know that money to come from somewhere if you can't go expand i mean basically what i'm getting at is if we're not allowed to expand our wage bill by more than seven million pounds a season and you've got two star players who are asking for huge wage increases basically there was a bit of reshuffling going on i don't know how mustafi ended up in the club quite frankly i'm I've never really been a massive fan, but someone <laughs> said this time last year, we need a defender. He was the guy on the list. We signed him up. I, I, I don't think as a player that you, you necessarily take to heart too much the fact that you might be a pawn in a game when it comes to the transfer market because they all are all of the time and they also use that system to their own benefit at some point. Um I mean, let's just look at the case of Olivier Giroud, for example. I mean, earlier in the summer, we were quite happy to to let him go, and the boss said, you know, to Olivier, "I'm going to, I'm quite happy to open the door for you." Did what you, do you think about Marseille? What do you think about Lyon? What do you think about Everton? You know, I, here's the thing about Everton. As we as we speak, the uh, revelation uh, BBC Five Live had a program on tonight. They were talking to uh, Charlie Adam. Uh, one of our favourite people, I think we can all agree. Um, but Charlie Adam claimed on BBC Five Live this evening, Andrew, that Olivier Giroud had agreed a move to Everton uh, earlier in the summer, but his wife refused to go to to leave London to go and live in Liverpool. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem unreasonable, to be fair, because actually, like looking at the way that he was talking about the fact that he turned down Marseille and Lyon and saying that League One was never really on, on the cards for him. It sounds to me like basically his wife said, I'd quite like to stay in London. And, mm. you know, if, if you're a footballer, it, if that's what your wife wants and your family means something to you and you feel that that would be better for your day-to-day stability, then that comes into it, right? It's not all about the money. It's not all about all of the other stuff that we as kind of supporters look at on the surface. All of that stuff kind of blends into things and it, it affects your decision making. Um, Mustafi, I, look, Mustafi's just had a kid. He's already someone who's already been to Italy, moving to Inter Milan or Juventus, I think was the other potential thing. Not the worst thing in the world. Two pretty big clubs who are willing mm. to spend big money on him. He's already won a World Cup, so he's already achieved something big, which he can kind of hang on his, you know, you know, on his CV, as it were. I mean, I, 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 I think that Mustafi's a professional who'll be able to get on with things. I don't think it's an ideal situation. Obviously, I think it's kind of, you wouldn't necessarily be doing that. But I think there was probably a reason as to why we thought if we try and get shot of Mustafi for 35 million quid next summer or whatever it is, um, we're probably trying to bring someone else in. There's mm. maneuvering going on, right? And at some point, it became obvious that whoever we were going to replace Mustafi with wasn't going to happen. So then you have to say, well, we'll keep him. Um, and I think there's a fair amount of that going on across the squad. I don't know what the others think. Maybe maybe I'm a bit naive and buying into some theories that are uh, well, becoming I, popular at a certain time. Sorry, I don't I don't think we know why why Wenger's prepared to let him go though do we I mean was it because Mustafi wanted to leave or was it because Wenger didn't want him anymore I mean we don't really know that so I mean maybe maybe if he sells enough center backs he doesn't have to play a back three anymore well I think (laughs) he he just wants to go to back four (laughs) you mentioned that you know it's how do we reintegrate all these people I think the kind of more interesting point for me is why does so many want to leave and and you know let's assume that I mean we know that Ozil and Alexis um well they're not obviously going to sign new deals and they're quite happy to go we knew that Oxlade-Chamberlain was happy to go <clears throat> a whole bunch of other players 
wanting to leave. And then, yeah, so that kind of, to me, is even more interesting is what's, what's going on. Yeah, is it just a simple fact that they look at the club and they think it's, it's not, you know, it's not going in the right direction or is there more to it? We, we just don't know. With, with Mustafi, it's exactly the same. We don't know what the, what the deal is there. Hmm. It is an interesting one. I mean, I do think we are going to go to a back four. I want to bring in uh, our friend uh, Tayo Papula. Hi, Tayo. Just out of breath after putting up a, a podcast. Hello, mate. How are you? I, we're I, we're all right. This is like a therapy group here. The transfer window's just closed. I know you've had your own this evening. The uh, there's a Tuesday Club podcast for people to listen to as well. How was how was that? Um, it was an emergency meeting of the Cobra Committee. It was. Um, <laughs> We got together, we, 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 we laughed, we cried, we held each other's beer, we held each other's tears. <laughs> and we tried to pick, I don't know if you, we tried to pick our best 11 at the moment. Oh, here. <laughs> and could, and, and, and we started laughing. For start, I said check, like quite boldly. And then Stoney went, well, actually, I don't <laughs> Well, I'd have stopped you there. I'd have a spinner. Yeah. So basically, uh, we, we 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 laughed a bit, and we are the new, as you know, we are the new exploding clown car of the Premier League at the moment. So it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's horrendous times, but it's almost funny. I mean, we did this before, didn't we? Um, I'm, we had a therapy session before Andrew, mm. um, both Andrews, in fact, I think. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did this before and exactly that. We just laughed. What else can you do right now? Well, this is kind of it. You know, I know it's a very serious business, football, and uh, maybe it's because I have had a few beers this evening while I'm doing the live blog. But there is part of you that goes like, did you see the article? Did you, like, I presume all of you guys saw the article that Arsenal Football Club put out today at about, I don't know, what time was it? About about 10 o'clock. And it was an interview with Arsene Wenger, and he's talking about, like, what's deadline day like for you? And he's going, <laughs> <laughs> he's talking about, well, you've got to get up early, and my phone is red hot on deadline day. And you're thinking, Jesus Christ. I, I actually, I have the full quotes in front of me, if you'd Go like on, them. yeah, please, please. <laughs> You perform for us. <laughs> I I wake up very early every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it my best English. Day. Transfer deadline day or not, you're on alert and you look around Europe. The phone is red hot most of the time. It depends whether you're a buyer or a seller or whether you're both. <laughs> if you're a buyer, you have to put the pressure on a club very early because you know you need some time for the administration. <laughs> to the regulations to get approval from the Premier League to finalise their contracts. I mean, I could go on. Oh. I mean, it, it's it's basically another seven or eight paragraphs of Arsene saying you really need to have your shit together when yeah. you go to Boston. <laughs> you, guys are, you guys are in the nose in different ways. Um, do you know who does the... I mean, let's hope whoever does the PR, whoever does the website for Arsenal is either massively like part of the banter era and actually sees the website as an extension of the banter era and manages to put up the worst articles at the worst time. I know you guys have spoken before mm. about the trans I mean, you know, half the the, the, the transfer rumors bit of the website. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? Well, what look, are you doing? I, I think I think in fairness to the guys, I think there is definitely uh, I think there's definitely them having a bit of a 
<laughs> like like we are what the yeah. fuck can you do other than just fucking laugh at what's going on and that today I was going well the fucking amazing balls on that football club <laughs> to, <laughs> to put that article out when we're all sitting here knowing that there's absolutely no way really that they're going to sign anybody um, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think sorry Andrew I think that the I think I mean I joined you guys I could hear the laughter in your voices when I was when I was listening to the line which is I mean it's so and again, I mean, everyone can deal with this stuff in their own ways, right? And it is at this stage, you have just got to laugh. And part of me is kind of like, you know, those kind of mad, uh, mad, um, mad Americans, not you. Hey, Elliot. But, you know, like people who are hoarding kind of baked bean cans and like waiting for the end of the world just to know what it feels like. Part of me wants to just see just how comedy we can get. Part of me is gutted that we haven't signed Fabian Delph. Part of me is absolutely. <laughs> Johnny Evans. <laughs> part of me is absolutely distraught that, you know, at long last, I just saw Salomon Kalou riding in on a horse going, I am here, guys. It's taken me this long. I want to see how bad it can get almost. I know I love this club as much as we all do. I just, I do, it's so comedic at the moment. You've just got to go, you kind of want to see it through, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's like it's like bad performance art. It really is. Um, <laughs> I think with that with that with that piece that you mentioned on the on the website, they obviously realised that the the last nine stories on the news uh, on the news feed were players leaving. So they quick, quick rush out a puff piece. It's, what, what can we do? It's, well, yeah. I don't even think it was a puff piece. I just think it was like let's talk to him about deadline day and just see you know and just the idea of Arsene Wenger with a red hot phone while he's. He's off in France. I mean, he could have been there to try and convince Thomas Lamar to to sign for Arsenal, but you know, it just it was just funny. It really is kind of funny. Um, I, I did point out yesterday that they ran a story about Colo. They had a full interview with Colo Torre, and they were asking about how he joined Arsenal. And they basically went with the full story of Arsene Wenger signed me because I two footed him on the trans or like on the training <laughs> ground. And you're kind of thinking, hmm. That's yeah. not scouting. That's not expertise. That's just yeah. <laughs> some lads turned up at the training ground and amused Ray Parlow, and we decided <laughs> to give him a four-year contract. You know, oh. but but I actually think there's a there's actually a message there because I, honestly, I, I think in the cold light of day, we still have a pretty good squad, and I think there is a manager in the world who could carry the squad to, I hate to say it, a top four challenge. But the thing that worries me is. What was the strategy this summer? What's really worrying, it appears there was one strategy. And then, like, since the loss to Liverpool, we just kind of tore it up and started over. You're, abso you're absolutely right, because, like, the message throughout this summer was, like, we are not selling Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez is going to stay with Arsenal. He is going to be an Arsenal player. End of story. He's gonna Arsene Wenger said something along the lines of, he's going to stay and he's going to accept it. Like, because, obviously, Alexis didn't want that. Uh, but Arsene Wenger says you're going to stay. So we lose to Liverpool, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, fuck it, let's just let's do what we let's do what we can. Let's, um, uh, Elliot. Let's just talk very. <laughs> what's your take on the whole Lamar Alexis thing that that went down today? Right? In that, I mean, <laughs> I know everyone's aside from laughing. thinking it was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it was. I mean, it seems to me. This is my take on it. Right? That that. You're absolutely right. Following the Liverpool game, they went, fuck it. 
like, let's just do what we can. They decided that they would sell Alexis. And then they went to City and said, you know, let's g- give us Raheem Sterling, blah, blah. And then it was like, well, just give us lots of money. And if we can buy Thomas Lamar, we will sell you Alexis Sanchez. And then they couldn't sign Thomas Lamar. So they said, no, n- fuck you. We're, we're going to keep Alexis Sanchez. Manchester City saying they're apoplectic because, you know, the way Arsenal dealt with things, you know, not, not that they couldn't have come with a 60 million pound bid three or four weeks ago or anything like that. But it it is just it's part of this free form jazz improvising make it up as you go along plan. I mean, is that a plan to make it up as you go along if that's what you're committed to? I mean, it's always been my approach, but but I yeah. can tell you, you wouldn't want to wind up where I've gotten. I mean, look, a few things. First of all, you're always better having Alexis Sanchez than not having him. Mm. I think the calculus is this: Do you think? this club can compete for a title, ha, 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 or at a minimum top four with Alexis. If you believe that, then keeping him for one season and losing him on a free, at least you can say mission accomplished, right? I mean, I think the the funny thing is if we had won our first three games, you'd say, wow, we're, you know, three games undefeated. We won at Anfield. We've still got a strong squad. We held on to Alexis Sanchez. We can go for it. The problem is because that's not what happened and because people feel that we might be a little bit of a dumpster fire now, that – Losing Alexis on a free next summer will have been for nothing. Mm. Um, and by the way, big thanks to Lamar for having like the game of his life today for France. Oh, like God. maximum hashtag banter. But like, but but so I think the problem is that there's nothing wrong with keeping Alexis if your goal is to go for it. Now I said this on Twitter: keeping Ozil, keeping Alexis, losing them for free next summer makes sense if you think, all right, we're close. We're going to go for it. We're going to add the quality to the squad that it's missing. And we think we have the squad to do something special. But he kind of punted. He kept Ozone Alexis, but he didn't add to the squad in areas like central midfield, like center Uh of defense, where there are clear holes. And now what do we look like? We look like a squad that's still poised to be the fifth or sixth best squad in England. And there's no benefit to that, especially when it means losing Ozone Alexis for free next next summer. Mm. I think... Um, look, does Thomas Lamar look like a huge talent? Sure. Do I think he's a hundred million pound talent? I mean, there's people much smarter than I am who, who would opine on that. And the one thing I will say, I mean, uh, Tim Stillman, who obviously does a lot of great work for your, your blog and your, your uh, podcast and occasionally appears on the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, which I might recommend. Um, <laughs> he, he made the point that this is city's fault that city, if they really wanted Alexis should have come in with a serious bid earlier And had they done that, it would have given us all more time to navigate this. But my take on it is you can't spend all summer saying he's not for sale Mm. only to change your mind 48 hours before the window closes. So Mm. I think, again, the biggest concern here is there didn't seem to be a clear strategy. Then we pivoted from that to this haphazard sell everybody, try to buy Lamar on deadline day strategy. And ultimately, what I think it is, Andrew, more than anything else, is the clearest sign that the job has gotten too big for Arson, that you need a director of football, that you need to stratify the roles and responsibilities at the club, that that there are too many contracts and too many moving parts and too many things going on for us to run this like it's 1999 or 2000 or 2004, that he needs the help and he just refuses to take the help on. Mm, Jim, I mean... I think that's a really good point. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts on keeping Alexis and Ozil? I think if uh, if we got to the end of the transfer window and we had held on to those two, if at the start of the transfer window, if we got to the end and, and you said, look, these two guys are still 
Arsenal players, people would have been quite happy. But circumstantially, I think people are a little bit unhappy at the fact that Alexis Sanchez is staying, that maybe he won't give his best. Um, he might have his mind elsewhere. He might be cheesed off that he, he couldn't make the move to Manchester City. I mean, I'm not quite sure why Manchester City is that attractive a draw for him. I can understand, you know, working with Guardiola, he could get paid a huge amount of money. But, like, next season, he's going to be 29. He can go on a free. He'll have his pick of clubs wherever the hell he wants to go. He's got he's got so many options. But from an Arsenal point of view for this season, how do you view the, I won't say the decision to keep Alexis Sanchez, because clearly we, we, bent, we bent over, we bent backwards to go the other way on that one in the last few days of the window, but the fact that he's going to be an Arsenal player until next summer. I think I am a little bit torn about it, only because I've got a bit bored of it in the last couple of days, to be honest. But um, uh, I think on you know, in the cold light of day, it'll be it's it's better that he's there and and Ozil. It's better that they're both here. And um, you know, the the only thing you have to take into account, of course, is that neither wanted to be here, and you know that, that we've got the whole saga now. It's going to be ongoing right the way through till well January and beyond. So um, you know which quite frankly i think we're all a bit bored of but i think from a footballing point of view it's it's better that they that they're, they're here obviously because we wouldn't you know, unless we got that replacement in which of course you can't really deal with about 8 hours to go <laughs> so I, I think it is best I, I i've got no worries about um alexis's uh, mental state or the effort he'll put in but um but you know it is probably a bit galling for some of the other players that it's patently obvious that he and and Ozil don't really want to be here anymore so mm. uh, part part of me also thinks you know just get shot of them and go but the sensible more that the more pragmatic part of me thinks yeah you know it, it, it's better that they haven't gone one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. 
I mean, what, what, Jim, why do you think they get football clubs get so dictated to by the market? Because it feels like what's happened in the last week, especially, has been dictated by the market rather than a plan. Because let's say we talk about Manchester City wanting Alexis Sanchez. They could have done it a week ago or two weeks ago or four weeks ago or six weeks ago, but chose to do it on the final day. Um, mm. Arsenal, in the same way, uh, rather than saying, OK, well, look, if Sanchez really wants to go, we could get rid of him. Let's do it in June or let's do it in July. Let's open up the uh, open up the avenues for this to happen. And then we've got time to do the outward deal and we've got a t- uh, time to do the inward deal. I don't know. So you, there's probably loads and loads of reasons. Maybe maybe that the agents hold on to them, hold on to their players quite long as well so, you know, with, with the hope of getting more money out of it. And maybe there's an element of that to it as well. Maybe also it's a bit like buying a house. You've got lots of moving parts. You've got a chain. And X can't move till Y's gone and Y. And sometimes those things don't happen until the very, very end when people are a bit more desperate. It does feel weird when you kind of you just want to hit your head against the wall and say, look, you could have started even yesterday and made something happen. Yeah. here." But, um, you know, and the whole kind of thing with the 92 million coming through for Limar with what, you know, five hours to go. It's, oh, God. Here, here five hours go to again. go. Five hours to go and two hours before he's playing a match for France. You know, it's. Um yeah, it, well, it's, it, it's, it's it's nuts, isn't it? And, mm. you know, pretty much straight away you knew it wasn't going to happen. And uh, and then you think, well, you know, what do you expect with this little time left to go? So I, I don't know why the, the market kind of – it happens every year. And it's not just to Arsenal either. It happens to everybody. No, so that's true. I, I, think, I think there are lots of reasons. And, and um, yeah, you could say it makes it fun to watch. But it's not much bloody fun when you haven't bought any players and sold everyone. So. <laughs> no, it's not. A- Andrew, I mean, what would you have thought this evening if we had sold Alexis Sanchez for $60 million and bought Thomas Lamar for $92 million when we could have signed him for somewhere around 40 or $50 million in the summer if we'd really given it a good go? I mean, I think in the moment, given the circumstances, I'd have been quite excited about the fact that we'd managed to pull anything off at all. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not naive enough to assume I can rise above the general delirium of being a football fan and the idea that you get excited by, you know, a new player being on your team. I've literally just spent the day staring at Instagram posts of very excited Liverpool fans who are, you know, chuckling over the fact they've taken Chamberlain from us. And I'm like, yeah, you'll learn, you'll learn, you'll find <laughs> out. Um, but I, I still have this, I mean, I, I have this theory with Alexis and it's, it's something that I've been thinking about since I had maybe my fifth drink this evening. Okay. And it's, it's basically it's a good place that, to start. Yeah. We've, we've, raised a fair amount during this window we have reduced our wage bill probably as a consequence of the outgoing players um and my idea is basically if you don't now turn around to alexis and say hey buddy i'd like to give you a huge sum of money will you sign a two-year deal for us because we're well within our bounds here because we've managed to you know, work the figures out a little bit. We'll promise to sell you next summer. You get more money for the next 11 months, which is great, and that will cover whatever you know, moving on fee you would have got for free in your next place. And we'll get to sell you for X amount to someone next year, we should somehow be able to do a deal there. I, I would 100% be, able, be turning around to Alexis right now and throwing the fucking book at him and saying, basically, hey, here's 10 million quid. We can do this. Take it. 
but we'll stand to make 60 million quid next year and we'll be able to somehow balance the books out and we'll probably come out slightly richer than we are if we just lose him for free. Um, I have no idea if that's possible. Well, it's, knowing Arsenal, he'd twang his knee. Uh, he'd twang his <laughs> knee about three weeks in, and it would be lumped with him yeah. for two years on a vast contract. So. Yeah. Well, quite yeah. You go full Winston Bogard on this and just sit around for it. Oh, oh yeah. I was going to say Winston Bogard. We have our own example. He'd go Matthew Debussy on us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just looking at it now, and I'm thinking, well, like, what's the best thing we can do with the money that we have in a period where we can't spend it? Yeah. On other players. Yeah. Is it to maybe try and reward the players that we have with a view to then selling them further down the line? Mm, I think, yeah, I think, sorry, I think that's very sensible. Um, And it's something I've I've written about this this summer as well, about the idea of him signing a deal in the way that Suarez did at, uh, at Liverpool. You know, that, you know, nobody... Nobody expected Suarez to stay at Liverpool for the rest of his career when he signed a deal with them after that whole flirtation with us, the 40 million and one thing that was going on. But I think it makes a lot of sense for Alexis Sanchez. It just makes a lot of sense to manage the situation in general that like, okay, if he's a little bit cheesed off with what's going on at the moment, well, give him this pay rise. You're being uh, acknowledged as one of the team's best players or the team's best player, a very important person uh, on the pitch. And, financially we will reward you i mean tyre what what sort of faith do you have in a club that has failed to manage situations very well this summer how how do you feel that they're going to manage this one well this is exactly what i've just written down while you were talking there andrew it's like um we're both andrews there because i mean i think you probably both know i'm fairly obsessed with the wire right and at the moment (laughs) like you know i just in my head i've been saying all day you know barksdale's weak you know, right? It just it kind of, that's that's my own. So I realise. But basically, you mentioned you mentioned the Suarez thing there, right? Um, what Liverpool did with that, um, Liverpool still had some control of that. Liverpool still had some control over that situation because they were empowered by the comedy clown car that was us. We empowered Liverpool to help them quit Suarez for another year, right? We are now in a situation where. If you said to me at the beginning of the season that we were going to end the we were going to end the transfer window with our best player still there, then um, then it would seem like a good idea. What we've managed to do is still keep our best player here, but absolutely lose any kind any sense of power, any sense of control in the situation, and we are a laughing stock. If you said to me that we were going to we we've got we've got central defenders who we've shown no faith in. Callum Chambers was told he was allowed to leave at the end of the last season, or treated like he was allowed to leave, and then suddenly becomes important. Mustafi has been absolutely kicked to the curb for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. If you're going to kick him to the curb, kick him out of the club, please. He's still there feeling, he's still there knowing that there is no faith in him at all. We've kept our best player, having pretended we were going to keep our best player, then tried to sell him, then realised that we couldn't get a replacement, then kept him. So he's going to come back after the transfer window in a mess. It's like the unruly, you talk about, it's like the unruly kids. What you said, Andrew Allen, is very true there about whether you could, if we could keep, you know, keep him, keep him there, keep him, um, like Liverpool did with Suarez. But what you've got, you've got a load of unruly kids in the classroom who've got no respect anymore for their teacher, whether the teacher is Arsene Wenger or whether the teacher is the club. We look 
I think we look like a joke, not only from the outside, but the players themselves are thinking, what the fuck mm. are we in amongst? Because it doesn't feel right. So therefore, I can't talk about it. There is no element of control over this situation. Elliot, what you said earlier on about the job being becoming too big for the manager mm-hmm. is 100% true. Yeah, I agree with all that. These, all these parts are now moving, unraveling in front of him. And he's like, they're going, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've still got to worry about playing four at the back or whether we're playing three at the back. <laughs> Meanwhile, half my players want to leave. The other ones are laughing at me. What situation are we in where Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, a 24-year-old kid, has just actually gone, do you know what? I'm not even signing. I mean, that was a weird thing there. It wasn't... People, people have left Arsenal before and we've made up and we've turned them into the bogeyman um, or we've just had them ushered out of the club like a Santos Nobue or, you know, who we didn't care about. Here is a guy who's 24 who seems a smart enough guy who has just turned around and said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not playing anymore. And that's really unusual and really difficult to, a difficult reality to try mm. to get used to. Mm. I mean, when we talk about, uh, Elio, when we talk about Arsenal players, mm-hmm. there is this trope, isn't there, that these guys are happy and content yeah. to sit around and pick up their money because it's nice and it's easy for them where they don't have to worry too much, that there's no accountability, that there's nobody at the uh, at halftime or at the end of a game, nobody's going to pick them up by the throat and put them put them up against the wall and go, you, you fucking little cunt, you fucking play. But, you know, <laughs> nobody's going to do that. I mean, um uh, but Alex Oxley Chamberlain has decided, okay, yeah, I, I want to go mm-hmm. the other way, and that, I think you know when you tie that into what we saw against um, Liverpool at Anfield last Sunday, I, I don't know if that was, I don't know if there was something about that game being the last game before the transfer window having an effect on the team. I know it shouldn't, but I, I feel like in some ways that it did. But there is something to be said for, for Oxley chamberlain who says, well, look, he's made a decision and he doesn't feel like uh, he doesn't feel like he wants to be at Arsenal anymore. I don't blame yeah. him. I mean, I, I think ultimately he has stagnated. He started to get a bit better, but he really has pretty much stayed at the same level for a while. And if I was him and, you know, really wanted to improve, I'd, you know, why, six years, why, why not give somewhere else a different go? So I don't really blame him at all. Mm. Uh, and the insanity sorry I'm sure you said this before the insanity that he was even on the fucking pitch for well, the yeah. game mm-hmm. against Liverpool is just beyond uh, beyond my comprehension mm. what are you doing on the pitch playing in a position that you never want to play again <laughs> against a team that you're probably going to sign for that's insane no yeah. it, it is incredible management mismanagement I, I don't I don't know I mean there's a Elliot there's a big uh mm-hmm. There's a big question mark over the decisions that Arsene Wenger is making. I said this to uh, to uh, someone last week. I think that you know usually when he makes a decision, even if you disagree with it, you can see the logic or his logic or his rationale for making that decision. And this summer, and maybe going back a little bit beyond this summer, it's been a bit more difficult to understand why he's making the decisions that he's making. It is. I, I think the biggest thing that I would say is that the the people who, you know, there are people who routinely come to Arson's defense. And I, I don't mean to make this an AKB uh, banger out kind of uh, uh, situation, but the people that tend to come to his defense, I think, are finding it harder and harder to explain away some of the decisions. I, you know, I look at the fact that he left Col- uh, Kolasinac and, and Lacazette on the bench against Liverpool 
And it's really hard to explain. You bought a Bundesliga team of the season left wing back, and instead you opted for a want-away central midfielder. Um, <laughs> and then you you chose Danny Welbeck. And look, I mean, not to rehash the Liverpool game. You, you've covered it in depth and, and brilliantly, but Danny Welbeck, the first chance fell to him, and he skied it over the bar. And I'm not saying we were ever going to do anything other than lose that game heavily, but Lacazette's a finisher. He was the one guy who put the ball in the back of the net against Stoke. I don't... I don't believe him anymore when he tells me why he's doing the things he does. Yeah. It yeah. sounds more like he's searching for answers than that he has the answers. You know, for a long time, we excused Arson where we said, look, he's got the media wrapped around his finger. He says what he needs to say, but he's got a plan. I don't think the evidence is there for that anymore. I think what he says out loud is what he means, and I just don't think he has the answers anymore. We saw it last season, and you've said this so many times, but the back three didn't feel like a plan he worked out. It felt like something he stumbled onto at the 11th hour when nothing else was working. Um, and I just don't feel like there's a clear plan there anymore. I, I do think that discipline is a problem at the club. I think consequences are a problem at the club. I think that's been the case for a long time. I will not cry any tears for Oxlade Chamberlain leaving because I think he is, he exemplifies the problem of a player who doesn't have the appropriate discipline and professionalism on the pitch. Uh, ironically, I think he's a very intelligent sounding young man off the pitch. It's worth remembering, you know, and I think all of us on this podcast are old. old enough to understand <laughs> that's one way to put it yeah i was trying to be polite that that being 23 being 24 those are still children um you know i i have a two-year-old now and she thrives on discipline if i don't give her discipline she struggles um i think these young men need the kind of discipline that arson banger is just no longer able to provide both tactically and in terms of how he manages the club off the pitch and yet it feels arbitrary because you look at someone like chesney who admittedly went a long way towards pissing him off, smoking in the showers, um, who gets excommunicated from the club and he's gone and he's sold for a song despite his talent, and then other players that are indulged. Um, there is definitely an unhealthy situation. I think the fact that we've had this socialist wage structure where there are players who don't warrant their wage stuck on it and we can't move them has been a part of it. It's very comfortable. But overall, you know, and this is what it boils down to. We still have a great squad. I think the fact that you're seeing people have an absolute meltdown today is more based on the fact that no one believes Arsene Wenger is going to get this squad where it needs to go uh, and less about the quality of the players. Because, you know, in the cold light of day, if you just want to look at the players that are still at Arsenal, personally, and maybe I'm wrong, I still think there's great talent. My, my last point there would just be that it's crazy to me that he has not targeted central midfield for an improvement mm. because you look at Shaq and Ramsey as probably the only real quality partnership we have. And we're still not even sure about that. And in Aaron Ramsey, at a minimum, you're talking about an injury riddled player. Th this is where I start to question Arson. all the other meta issues aside, just tactically, structurally, how do you not go out and strengthen your midfield this summer? That that's the part I don't get. You know, we're targeting a, a Lamar who looks like a huge talent when we have a pretty decent array of, of attacking options, but the midfield totally unaddressed. Exactly. Well, Lamar was, was going to be a replacement for Alexis Sanchez. You already have Alexis sure. Sanchez. And, I, you know, I get the need to to maybe make that change if, if Alexis is unhappy. But, Andrew, I think uh, that's a great point, that central midfield for me is, the, is the, the fundamental issue. Well, one of the fundamental issues with this Arsenal side is that it is not balanced. It doesn't have the right qualities. The players that we have in there are... Are, they don't necessarily work together particularly well. One of the only players who seems to work with anyone is Mohamed El Nenny because he he's like 
I don't know. He's like one of those, uh, you know, when you go to the airport and you're going to the States or you're going to Europe, you can buy one of these plugs that just fits in any of the... He's that as a footballer. You know, he, he'll fit with Ramsey. He'll fit with Coquelin. He'll fit with Xhaka. Um, but, but generally speaking, the center of this midfield just does not operate as well as it should. And for me, it was, it was the area where I really wanted to see us make a purchase this summer and we haven't been anywhere near anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I think a lot of the stats that people have been um, kind of shining a light on uh, off the back of our change to three five two in the tail end of last season and obviously our continuation with that formation into this season has basically shown that the number of shots that we've conceded against us and the you know expected goals ratio and all the rest of it have, have, have suggested that we, we are not, shielding our defense well enough we have not done that in a long long time and that's you look at Jack and I, I you know I, I think there's a player there but I'm not necessarily sure that Arsene Wenger is the best manager to get the best out of him or that we're playing a formation that necessarily benefits him or giving him the partner that he necessarily needs to mm. uh, have alongside him to thrive the problem is I think we've got three very very talented midfielders in in Xhaka Ramsey and Ozil and I kind of feel like we need two different players to play with each one of those players in a formation that would work well for us. I don't see the three of them, two of them, any partnership between those three necessarily working well enough for us to to, to, to give us the defensive stability that we need. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, you, what we saw against Liverpool at the weekend was no different to what we saw against Liverpool a few years ago, you know, our fullbacks push up, our midfield pushes up, we're completely left bare and anybody with any pace and confidence can run straight through us. And that's, that. quite frankly, it's mm. it's embarrassing. And mm. it, it's it's really frustrating. And, you know, okay, so Arsene Wenger might be casting his eye across the whole of the, the transfer market and thinking, who the hell can I buy who'll come and sit in here? I really, like you, I like El Nini in the same way that I like Coquelin. I think they're kind of, relatable players you know I as a person who likes to play amateur football am very limited in my qualities but I like to think that if someone told me I, I, I kind of feel like that's a little bit where they are you know they're kind of limited guys who've kind of like given their rule they've been told by a boss this is what you need to do just do it really well and you sometimes see them in other teams as well when you're playing five a side or eleven a side or Sunday, Sunday league or whatever you kind of hear, this guy is not a good footballer, but he's just doing what he's been told to do, and he does it really well, and it really fucks off everybody because he's basically blocking the whole game. Darren Fletcher. Exactly. It, it's exactly that kind of thing, you know? And um, the thing is, we're Arsenal Football Club, and you need to go maybe one step above having the guy who's just quite good at you know doing what his boss told him. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, we don't even have a boss telling them to do that thing that they're supposed to do. So it's all a bit confusing and frustrating, really. But, I mean... You heard the rumour, I heard the rumour that Rabiot was maybe the guy they were looking at, but, you know, it's almost laughable when mm. you consider that he's now playing in a side that's willing to spend £400 million on strikers and he started all five games in the season. There's a good chance they're going to be one of the biggest powers in Europe for the next five years. So yeah. I'm going to stop breathing now. Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, Jim, how do we, Jim, how do we tally the complete lack of organization and defensive organization and defensive discipline with someone like Steve Bold. I, I, I you know, I, I, I love Steve Bold as a player. I think he was a really underrated center half. People obviously talked about 
Uh, Adams, uh, Keown was maybe a bit more eye-catching, and then Dixon and Winterburn were the two other guys at the back four. But for me, Steve Ball was like just an absolute classic centre-half. I loved watching him. But one of the things that people talked uh, talked about after the Anfield game, the Liverpool game last season, was the bench and how they were just so passive and how they sat there and like when goals went in, they just sort of sat, looked distraught, but nothing was done or nothing was said. I mean, it, it feels like there's no scope uh, for someone like Steve Ball to either say anything or to have any influence on what this team does and how it does it. Well, maybe not during the, maybe not during the match itself, but um, yeah, it's a weird one because we, we often hear that, oh, you know, Wenger doesn't, doesn't let him um, doesn't let him do the training and this that and the other. But then you also hear the flip side of the coin. People say, "Oh, nonsense! He's always you know in the thick of it." We just don't know, do we? Is the bottom line. Um, I think what, was it Squillacci that once said, or not that long ago, said, mm. oh, "It's an absolute nightmare defending for Arsenal." Yeah, you know, I didn't do that. I didn't do that well, but it's a nightmare defending for Arsenal because, you know, well, look, look, what, look what Ramsey and, and um, Shaka were doing on, on the weekend. They were all over the place, so they are pretty much exposed. And um, I think maybe it's partly the style we play. But I do, I do find it odd because you know you, they come a, come across a formula like the like the three at the back. And suddenly it worked, and we looked a bit tighter, and and then then it, it sort of disintegrates again. So, you know, it it there's it does feel like there are communication issues. But really, we're clutching at straws by saying that he you know, bowls not getting involved. We don't know. Mm. Uh, it, it's 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 just something that. Uh, that that you hear and it's hearsay and we we have we have no no real idea. You, you would hope that um, Wenger isn't so autocratic that that Bold's just you know, <laughs> told not to say anything. I refu- I refuse <laughs> to believe that Bold would accept that. Mm. Um, I was really struck. I was really struck by that Squillachi thing as well. I read that as well. I, I I mentioned it tonight on on our podcast through the pills of laughter coming from <laughs> from Stoney and Allen. But I really think that's the thing. I think the hardest positions to play at Arsenal, most obvious. I mean. You know, if you're if you're a centre half who needs coaching, or if you're a centre half like Rob Holding, or you're a defensive midfielder who needs who needs help, you're not going to get that in this team. And you know, um, and it's like it's what Nick Hornby said all those years ago about Gus Caesar when he he went. Remember that we all remember that stage where he goes right. He was the best at school. Then he was the best in his area. Then he was the best here, and then he got to the team. So he's not a bad player. Right. Yeah. <laughs> remember that. Do you yeah. remember that? Um, I do. I remember exactly because I remember thinking, like, "Fuck, you know, he must have been amazing at every level." And you know, you play with people at like five-a-side level or astro level, and you're going, "Fucking hell, this guy's amazing." Yeah. But so, yeah. so um, and 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 I realise how absurd it sounds, but stick with it. And that the summer when I actually interviews, like, he came with a rip. It, he came with a reputation of being okay. At, was it Bastia he came from? He was no, he was. From, he came from Sevilla. He'd, he'd like won European Sevilla, trophies right. with Sevilla. He was a, a French international. He wasn't a bad player, Squillacci. But like, and suddenly he's absolutely exposed and made an absolute clown of in a formation where he's got Abue running up miles away and pulling his, you know, sticking his tongue out of the corner flag. And he's thinking, well, hang on, is anyone going to give me a hand here? You know. Yeah. Um, and that's just like you said, Andrew. Um, that's how we that, that that's how we play and be damned. And the last person who was, you know, Sol Campbell can deal with it because Sol Campbell could have defended the line by himself. Do you know mm. what I mean? Gilberto Silva could deal with it, but 
it's Pas- not pa- Pascal Seagan couldn't and he was voted League One player of the year before he joined us but actually when uh, you think back actually you know you think back and, and like Pascal Seagan was a figure of fun but he was a figure of fun because yeah, he, because why because he wasn't as good as Saul Campbell but yeah, like if you yeah. put Pascal you know relatively comparatively speaking Pascal Seagan was a good defender you know he was. but it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. every team every you know whether they're the Invincibles who are so amazing they need the the, the figure the guy who's going to be the, the, the scapegoat for all the fucking shit that goes on I mean um, Elliot we, we've spoken a lot about the manager well not so much in this podcast but like People will talk a lot about the manager, and I think, you know, there's a really great case to be made for somebody else coming in and getting more out of this group of players than Arsene Wenger is getting out of them or has got out of them in a league. Um, but, you know, I, I, my big worry, and I'm not saying this to say we should not change the manager, because I'm that's not where I'm coming from on this. What I'm saying is that the, the problems at Arsenal run deeper than Arsene Wenger. Mm-hmm. And that if we parachute a new manager in, like, for example, we have this weird situation, right, where Arsene Wenger, the manager, is more powerful and will always be more powerful than the chief executive of the football club, someone who should have authority over the manager, right? So what you have, what you have if you get rid of Arsene Wenger and you bring in a new manager is a power shift where Ivan Gazidis the cuckold of fucking chief executives (laughs) now becomes (laughs) sorry sorry ivan but fuck you horrible image but but he he then he then (laughs) he then becomes this figure of power at the football club which i'm not sure is a really good thing and i wonder (laughs) if like when we look at the future and we're going to talk about next season in a, in a few minutes time, but I just wonder when I fear a lot about the future because I, I think we need a new manager. I think we should get a new manager, but I also think that the new manager is not a panacea to all the problems that we have. Of course not. I, I mean, I guess the problem for me is I feel like criticizing Kroenke or Gazidis who, Oh, by the way, deserve tremendous criticism is a, polite way of feeling sorry for Arson, if you follow what I'm saying, because Arson Banger is not an ideal situation. Th- those are not the people who should be owning and leading a football club, of course. Um, but then it becomes an excuse for a situation that I still think Arson owns, because I think if you handed this starting 11, okay, Lacazette, Alexis, Ozil, Ramsey, Shaka, Bellerin, Kolasinac, Koscielny, Mustafi, um, you know, take your murder sacker mm. and check to any of the other top five, five of the top six managers. I don't think they would be complaining that they're lacking talent. Now I realize a, a, a squad is more than just the first 11, but bear with me for a second. So I, I, I think there is talent there and I think the manager is getting less than the sum of the parts that he's been handed. Having said that, I think when you have an owner who is inept, who is not willing to invest, who does not provide that leadership, that's when I think having good structures in place becomes even more important because then you can have specialists. You can have a coach who manages the tactics, a director of football who understands what the financial realities of the club are and can plan both short-term and long-term to keep the club well-positioned over a period of years. We don't have that. And you know, not to be redundant and go back to the whole Arson has too much on his plate thing, but I think the ownership situation makes that even more important. Um, 
it's tough for me because I, I think Stan Kroenke is as bad as they come. I think you only need to ask fans of teams he owns in this country. Ask people in St. Louis what they think of Stan Did Kroenke. you? I mean, I don't know if you heard the podcast the other day, but uh, I spoke to James Montague who wrote the book, The Billionaire's yeah. Book, and he said it's that fantastic. actually people in St. Louis... Uh, football fans in St. Louis have become Tottenham fans because they hate Stan Kroenke that much. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, <laughs> he's he's done other confusing things. He, he the one thing I will say is he does seem willing to delegate all the authority to running his clubs to the people that run his clubs. Um, he does not seem to be a hands-on guy when it comes to the transactions of the the sporting, pardon the expression, franchises that he owns, and so the structures become more important. And I think what he likes about Arsene Wenger is it's convenient. Here's a cult of personality, a person who can have all the authority concentrated in him, who can unfortunately soak up all the criticism, become the focal point of all the attention. And it's very convenient for Stan. I mean, if you're Stan Kroenke, which would you prefer? People paying attention to you the way Liverpool fans paid attention to Hicks and Gillette or um, everybody paying attention to Arsene Wenger and having Arsene out banners instead of singing Stan Kroenke, get out of our club. So... Mm. It is, look, the the fish rots from the head. The head is Stan Kroenke, not Arsene Wenger, you know, no matter what it looks like. And I think we have a problem at ownership level. Having said that, I think it would be reckless to suggest that the quality of the squad that Arsene has uh, is insufficient to achieve at least the minimum goals. And I will give Arsene credit for having achieved the minimum goal, top four, which I think we all agree is the minimum goal, with lesser squads, in fact, and, and having gotten a lot out of them. The, the thing that worries me now is look at the Premier League. Look at who's managing these top sides. Jose Mourinho, con, obviously, but um, Pep Guardiola, Pochettino, Klopp. These are, uh, these are top, top tactical managers. And the tactics in the Premier League, Premier League have improved. You look at the way Arsene struggled in Europe, even in the early part of his career when he had the Invincibles, where there were managers who were better at tactics. He struggled with people like Rafa Benitez. And I think there's more of that kind of coaching in the Premier League now. And I think he's struggling to keep up with it. And I, you know, I'm not trying to kick the man while he's down or, or, or uh, exonerate Kroenke or Gazidis, but I certainly think that with the, squ the squad we have and the talent we have, we are not getting enough out of the, out of the parts that we have presently. Mm. Um, Tayo, I mean, how do you view a, a summer where Arsenal finished fifth in the Premier League, uh, fell out of the Champions League places for the first time in 20-odd years, and we have turned a profit in the transfer market? Like, <laughs> I, I, I've got the spreadsheet here in front of me that Andrew, Andrew Allen put together. We have moved on. 24 players. Now, some of those players are like very fringe players. Some of them are also youth players who nobody has ever heard of uh, to an extent. But we have brought in, I don't know, somewhere in the region of 75 to 77 million pounds. And we've spent 46 million pounds. So there's almost, I think, somewhere in the region of a 30 million pound profit in, in just pure cash terms. Um I mean, does that speak to you uh, of a club that is is really determined to get back, A, into the top four, or B, win the title? Yeah, I was going to say halfway through that, yeah, when you were saying about the numbers, don't care, don't care, no fucks given. I thought that, I thought, it, it sounds like, Andrew, it sounds like a club doing some very, very um, sensible financial pruning um, to make sure that it stays in the profit, makes some money, and so and so on and so forth. It doesn't sound anything like a club that is 
you know, we we project everything that we want onto the club, right? So, I mean, I I didn't I didn't I wasn't I wasn't too upset when we came fifth because you know I keep harking back into because I just remember um, in '97 when um, when we got that really it was that big defeat against Blackburn, and you know that was it. Nadir's used to be just that, where you turned around and went, right, we are going to come back from this and we're going to come back stronger. You know, we were saying at the start of the pod when we were laughing about how when things, let things go so badly wrong so there's only one way up from there. Right, we come fifth. You think, right, we're going we're gonna to have to regroup. Every fan is saying, right, we're going to regroup and we're going to have less games in Europe and we're going to try and win the league. And then you just get met with a deflation at the start of the season again where this, you know, this, this prudence is going on, we're making a profit, but we're still stuck with, you know, it's like the bad meat at the bottom of your, you know, the bad red meat that doesn't kind of digest properly. <laughs> Debushi's still, you know, Debushi's still sitting there. Nobody wants, nobody at the club wants Lucas Perez, who, uh, and he doesn't know why, and we don't know why. Then you hear that, you know, the news leaks out about Mustafi. So aside from the headline clusterfucks, mm. there's enough other, that, that's almost left as bad a taste with me as possible. It doesn't feel anything lean about, you know, we, we had a, if you're going to have a bloated squad, have a bloated squad of good players. We've got so much dead wood that we've been unable to get rid of for years now. So it just leaves it just it just leaves me with a bad, uh, the, the, you know, the numbers, the, the 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 cutting of people. You can say what you want about that. The only thing that is remotely exciting is that um, our ox, the ox is left for forty millions. Like we never lose people for that much money. That's I mean, that's that's quite exciting, really. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, it's exciting. Instead. Um, Gabriel slipped out the door for the square root of fuck all. Um, Debushi, like I said, is still there. Instead of selling Gibbs for 10 million three months ago, we've sold him for 7 million now. And there's nothing to. We've, you said, Andrew Allen, about looking at Insta, Instagram and Liverpool players getting excited. They'll find out that it's not all, you know, rosy in the garden. But at least they've got a shiny toy to play with. We haven't even got anything. You know, like when you kind of clear out your... You get excited about clearing out your clothes drawer. That's it. <laughs> it's the irrationality of the transfer market, right? I mean, like, if we'd signed Lacazette today for £46 million and broken our transfer record, suddenly we'd all be jumping up and down, which is effectively yes, what we did with Urza a few years ago, right? I mean, it, I disagree it, with you slightly there, Andrew. Sorry to cut across you. Like, I disagree quite strongly with you, which is why I'm cutting across you, because even the Lacazette signing was... Um, wasn't exciting because we could have signed him two seasons ago. Um, he it didn't smack a first choice. It just it felt again like this kind of you know the free form kind of the the, the the jazz the jazz transfer window again. It just it you know when was the last time we identified a target and just got excited by it and got that person maybe Alexis you know Alexis Sanchez Ozil of course was super exciting but that was a that was a happy accident one off that, yeah that was an outlier at the time mm. as well mm. um, well I'm just I'm just thinking because like assuming I was going to say things had gone to plan but let's assume we didn't have a plan but assuming things went to the plan that we didn't have and we had signed <laughs> Lamar today mm. we'd probably be like oh great Lamar cool, like, we just spunked 92 million quid on this guy. He better fucking win us something. That would be exciting. It would be, it'd be exciting, but, I mean, there was no plan. 
he's just kind of come in. He's double the price that he should have been when we first showed interest in him at the earlier in the summer. And at the same time, I know as a human being and a, a ridiculous football fan, I'd be really excited about Thomas Lamar being an Arsenal player. And there's there's nothing really. You know, I, I like to consider myself a relatively sane human being, nine to five most days of the week. That would have been a ridiculous piece of business. But the market has changed and, 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 and it's changing us and our reactions. And we're all becoming fucking infantile in our fucking mm. reactions to it all as well. I mean, I feel like a fucking baby man sometimes when I look at all of this because I think, <laughs> why, do I, why do I give a shit? Why do I give a shit if Arsenal will pay, you know, 90... Um, I'm rambling now. Drink. No, drink. true, but, but Jim, is there a danger? <laughs> is there a danger of conflating the the ambition of a football club? Now, like, I, I, I'll just put it straight out here. I think we've criminally underinvested this summer. I think we've got more money available to us than the club have said. The idea that yesterday we were crying poor mouth and saying we don't we don't have any money for major signings was absolutely ludicrous to me i think there are shortcomings and weaknesses in the squad that we should have addressed in the transfer market but is there a danger of just conflating what you spend with what you're capable of doing because when you look at the squad of players that we have i i feel I feel like we've got a good squad of players. I don't think there's too many cunts in there. You know, like years by, I go, that guy, no, fuck that. Don't want that. Fuck him. Get out. You're dead. I hate you. Oh, I'd strangle you with my fucking bare hands. I don't necessarily feel quite that way with this squad. I think there's better players in this squad than, than there ever has been. It's about what we're capable of getting out of them. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I think that the, the, the trouble with this summer is is, you know, Yes, we might have a decent first eleven, but it's all about perception. And the perception, I think, fairly, is that um, is that we're a club that suddenly become a selling club again. We're a club that doesn't really have a plan. We're a club that's fallen out of the Champions League and aren't really, um, you know, that fussed about getting back into it. And you know, rightly or wrongly, that's the perception, and that's why everyone's chancing their hand at buying our players. And um, and and that's you know, that's a really difficult thing. That's a really difficult difficult thing to turn around. In, in terms of you know the squad is not full of idiots. I I do agree, but then it's also not the strongest squad. Uh, you know, if you compare it, I know it's an unfair comparison because they're fueled by um, a totally different type of income. But if you look at Man City's squad, it's mm. so strong, so 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 strong on mm. in every level. And our squad is well, a good squad. Not is every good, level. Is it a squad that ever because, not defenders? Not defenders. So like defenders aren't great at Man City, but I I take your point. I mean, they, 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 they've got you know, much more cover than we have everywhere. And, and ultimately, that's partly because they can. But also, I think we could have done more, like you say. So it, the perception is all wrong at the moment. And, and how, how the hell Wenger gets, gets that back and, and you know, turns that round, I do not know. Okay. But um, yeah. that's the job at hand. <laughs> can I just say, to lighten it up, um, <laughs> you know, with all the hand-wringing going on, I had a Watford friend of mine today um, uh, go, this is the this is the pod rookery Mike does his own podcast. He's a good guy. He just went. He basically said, "Just you know, check your privilege." He's like, "Oh, you won't lose till Christmas now. Pour you another drink, you lot. Shut up and take it." Well, you know, you know? what? Though? I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's true. That. I don't think it's true. I think you, you know. My my worry is that when you see a squad, a group of players who perform the way that they did at anfield in the third game of the season i uh, i've i have real fears about what they think of the manager and how they're going to perform for the manager and maybe 
sooner rather than later the way that Arsenal move forward is with somebody new in charge so I, I'm just like the final question is like uh, Elliot how does how does Arsene Wenger get this squad to do for him what they should have done for him at Anfield because like whatever you say about tactics whatever you say about the team selection and I agree like in both cases they were like they were questionable but when your players aren't even doing the very basics for you, and that means putting in tackles and doing the hard yards and running, um, is the is the departure of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and a couple of fringe players going to change the dynamic of that squad so much that all of a sudden they feel like liberated, they can play their football again? Well, on the bright side, he can't pick players who are leaving next week. So, you know, he's got that going for him. I mean, look... There are a couple easy easy fixes here. I mean, for one thing, if I'm an Arsenal player, and I know Alexis Sanchez is my best player, but I see this guy Lacazette, who you just spend 50 million pounds on, and I see this guy Kolasinac, who's a tr- you know a tank of a man who looks like a perfect fit for wing back, and I see you pick a want away midfielder at wing back instead, and I see you play Bellerin out of position, and I see you choose Danny Welbeck instead, my head's gonna drop. Mm. It, you know, it's yeah. I think it's just human nature. I think if he starts picking his best players and he starts picking on merit and he starts putting them in positions to excel, that's a start. Look, my belief is that we have a talented group of players. We are the worst team in the Premier League off the ball. I think we lack off the ball intensity and not to turn this into tactics corner, but like, you know, you look at how teams like Spurs and Liverpool win, they win off the ball with their pressing, right? I mean, what was our worst game of the season in the back three last season? It was at White Hart Lane where we got annihilated by a team that presses and we were annihilated and embarrassed against Liverpool. And those teams know how to be intense off the ball and good fucking luck, Oxley Chamberlain, because that's like his worst quality. But I think if the manager just starts doing the basics, showing good leadership, picking the players who have earned a place on the pitch, putting them into their best positions, starting his best players, as simplistic as that sounds, putting some experience in the back four, trust Per Mertesacker. I don't know what he's seeing on the training pitch, but put your captain on the pitch, for fuck's sake, between Mustafi and and Koscielny and, and have the experience at the back. And tell Aaron Ramsey, if you keep abandoning the center of midfield, you're not playing. I'll play El Nenny ahead of you. Do what you have to do. The talent is there up front to get us goals, and the formation should be designed to give us a little stability if Shaq is not left by himself having to make defensive decisions that he's not qualified to do. So, I mean, I'm I'm rambling at this point, but I think I think the good news is there's no distraction of players who want to leave or can leave. I think we'll face that again in January when the guys who are out of contract are thinking World Cup and protecting themselves. But for the next few months at least, pick your best squad. Don't get too cute. If you think a back four is the way to go, switch to it now. But come up with a system that you think carries us forward and and stick with it. Because the one thing that this club has lacked, from Kroenke to Gazidis to Arsene Wenger to tactics to transfers, is a clear strategy that is decisively implemented. And that filters through to the players. Mm -hmm. We look like a club that doesn't have a USP. Um, He needs to figure out what that USP is and implement it. And then the quality is there to, at a minimum, get us close to being in the conversation for top four. And that's me wearing my optimist hat. So I fully acknowledge anyone who's going to start following me on Twitter. That's not the kind of content you're going to find. (laughs) Andrew, Andrew, any thoughts on that in terms of the squad? I mean, I I feel he's going to go back to a back four. I absolutely think it's going to be a back four. 
I I think he's he's obviously going to be very tempted by that. I have to say, I think Elliot's made some incredible points. Um, Despite the accent. <laughs> hey, hey, no, incredible points. And you didn't once say anything about Giroud. Anyway, no, uh, I, I was warned. <laughs> I hey, um, I never said a no, word. No, hey, look, what 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 I find remarkable, and I think. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still kind of chuckling about it myself, is, is the fact that in January, which is not that long ago, most Arsenal fans, if you said, do we need to strengthen the window, would have said, yeah, maybe. Not absolutely 100%, but like, yeah, we could probably do with a, a couple of players, maybe. And and now we, we, we look at a situation, you know, eight, nine months down the line, and we're we're kind of a bit, we're panicking about it. There's gaps. What Wenger needs to do is get this team on a run. What Wenger has really struggled to do over the last 14 years, 13 years, is is get the team on a run and 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 it stays confident. This team, Arsenal Wenger's teams, over the last 13 years have had a remarkable ability to collapse under pressure, and for that pressure to kind of play out demonstrably on the faces and the body language of the players on pitches. I've never seen any other big team collapse as regularly in-game as we do. And I, I, I say that, obviously, with an Arsenal hat on, but like I just I don't see Man United getting spanked four or five nil three times a season. I don't see Chelsea doing it. I don't see Manchester City doing it. Yes, there's the occasional game where it happens, maybe two. But... There's there's a certain inevitability about Arsenal in some games, and unfortunately, that is a really hard thing to shake off because I think it's not just in the psyche of the fans; it's in the psyche of the players. Yeah, and I think it plays out every time that we go to one of our big rivals now. And I don't I don't know how you shake that off without actually changing, not just changing the record, but breaking the existing record into a million bits. And then moving to mini disc, at mm. least. Mini you know? disc. Like, yeah. I mean, we're we're. I I am now past the point of believing that under Arsene Wenger we can go into games against big top four rivals and it not be an absolute shit show. Mm. Like maybe we'll grab a draw, but I don't know. There's some ridiculous record. It's like thirty. I, I don't know what the record is away from home now, but it feels like the last time we won against a top four rival in the league was that Manchester City one where Santi did his little jig and Jerusalem yeah. that header. And that seems like a bloody long time ago already. <laughs> Jim, um, when you think about that, when you remember the games that we used to play, I know it wasn't a top four back then, but it was essentially a top two when we would play against Manchester United at Old Trafford. And I can remember those games and the intensity of them and the the nerves and sitting there watching them on TV and like you'd have your legs shaking, but there was no like, you weren't sitting there going, you weren't hiding behind the sofa like an episode of Doctor Who going, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Like that's gone, isn't it? Mm, yeah, and you know what? I'm, I, I'm sort of increasingly of the opinion that we should just stop harking on about the, the Invincibles. You know, great though it was, because I think it's holding us back in a way. <laughs> I just think it's one of those things that we can't we keep comparing ourselves to the, the greatest team that probably will ever. It's the see. worst thing Arsene Wenger ever did to Arsenal. Well, you know, it's not, but but it's, it's one of those things that yeah, that was then, that was then, and 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 this is now, and and ultimately, it's all about what can we. That the record is so 
it's the same record every year, same thing. And we know it's not going to change, as in we know that the stru- structurally it, it, it's, it's unlikely to to change now so the question is what yeah what can he get out of this team while he's still here that will constitute something that the fans don't spend every week booing him for and and it's a pretty difficult one but um i think i think we'll we'll we can put a good run together whether it will be enough for the fans to to you know to to i don't know just to be to be happy for more than just a few games at a time it's it's arsenal do seem stuck in this big uh, not just the team, but the fans as well. We're, we are stuck in in this kind of perpetual cycle, and um, mm. and 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 it doesn't seem like it will change to me until he goes. I think that's true. Uh, Tayo, last comment to you. Anything you want to add to any of that? <laughs> and I, like, no, sorry, sorry. I should say, <laughs> uh, please provide us with your solution for the restoration and reformation of Arsenal Football Club, so we can be champions of England and Europe. Uh, immediately. <laughs> oh, um, give Alex Iwobi the keys to the club and Lagos. No, I, I um, feel I, I fear I, there's I, some Nigerian bias here. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, yeah. What we need is to sprinkle some juju over the uh, <laughs> over the Emirates. No, look. I mean, the only thing that we can, the only thing I can hope for now is for the alpha members of the squad serious for a second the alpha members of the squad to at least pull together and go well look we can't be part of a shit show if we need to you know does it fall to per Mertesacker our hero Mm. to 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 put to you know to pull the team together and go look lads we're really under we're really under it here we're getting a kicking from all sides if you don't want to do it for him do it for the guy next to you in the changing rooms. You know, it's a bit. It's, it's one of those cliches, but it also it's how team. It, it, it's how teams progress. A little bit of, um, you know, Bournemouth. If we is Bournemouth at home, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Bournemouth at home. I mean, come on. Look, can we put that one on the board before before heading off to you know to uh, to to Hades to try, to try and get some points there as well. The, the alpha members of the squad of the squad have got to pull themselves around and prove that they want to win football matches. And I think, you know, and I remember from last season, I remember I've never, was it against West Brom? There was, um, when since I were picking on him, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I remember there's just a pass, these things that say, he just passed it out into touch and just didn't look bothered by it at all. And it just, at that point, I think we said on our own point, I think there's, doesn't really care anymore. He's that kind of player. His head mm. drops and so on. But there's enough. There's enough players there, like Mertesacker, like Sanchez, like Ozil in his own way. I'm not. You know, I'm not. We're not. We're not going to give it the old passion kind of conversation. Like Ozil in his own way, you can just kind of pull the club round. And I think that's what needs to happen for now. All right. Well, that's. I think it's quite telling that we're talking about the players being uh, the ones who should make the difference here rather than the manager or the coaches or anything else. But look, we have been going for a long time. It's now 20 to 1 in the morning, so i got to let you guys uh, on this side of the Atlantic get some sleep. Uh, Andrew Allen, thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, Jim, the man from East Lower, thank you. Thank you, not at all. Uh, Tayo, thanks a million as always. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Cheers, mate. And Elliot, it's whatever, six o'clock there, so fuck you, man. <laughs> I'm going to try to catch up to you guys. I got the bourbon bottle. I'm going to do my best, and I look forward to people finding me on Twitter and saying, stick to baseball. That's it. All right. Well, <laughs> Thanks a million, guys. Thank Take you. it easy. All right. Cheers, guys. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.